going to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, it's us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Joey Clark. Uh, hello and welcome to the program. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to catch us online as well, posting podcasts on Podbean and SoundCloud. We have a little page on Facebook and working on a website for things more than just the show. But tonight we're going to continue to talk about the role of myth in our lives, and particularly how myth needs to inspire children but not just children i think myth can always inspire someone no matter what stage they are in life and joining me to discuss this is my good friend dan sanchez from the foundation for economic education dan how are you this evening i'm great joey thanks for having me uh, thank you for being here and it looks like i i was excited to see that today fee uh published it the story why kids need heroic adventures at fee fee.org um i was happy to see that because it's a lengthy piece it's involved in many ways it's personal i like that you got into a personal anecdote at the beginning of the story um I know you said for flow, not everybody knows He-Man, but the point is, when you were young, there's a cartoon that you love for some reason, but like a lot of car- cartoons in the 80s, like Transformers, they were, you know, essentially glorified ads for action figures. Um, but there was something about that cartoon that made you go down the rabbit hole of, oh, there's these deeper things that maybe grabbed you when you were a kid. So where did you... I'll, Put it this way, where did you first start to get this idea for this essay on why kids need heroic adventures? Um, well, I've just been really fascinated about um, how popular superheroes are today. And um, a lot of superheroes, they're very much like the myths. They're sort of like the demigods of, of the mythology of the, of the ancient Greeks and the ancient uh, Norse uh, mythology. And there's it just made me wonder, like, why there's such a timeless fascination with these kinds of heroes. Um, and, like, like even with, with myself, that when, when I was a little kid, uh, He-Man was, was my hero. And, and what was it about these characters and these stories that, that were so compelling? And so I've been reading a lot of Joseph Campbell, who wrote um, work on the hero's journey, he called it. Um, and what he did was he identified sort of a pattern um, that he he went so far as to say that all the great myths are basically one story, and um, and and that there's a reason why it's one story, and um, and that's because this classic story. Um, there are these themes that really speak to the soul of the individual, to, to, the, to the, sub, uh, the, the unconscious mind of the individual, and, and that it especially helps the individual, like you said, um, to go from one stage of life 
to another. And obviously kids, um, you know, they're developing very quickly and, and a lot of going, going through changes very, very rapidly as they, they learn a lot and, and they, they're growing very quickly. And, um, and so heroes' journeys are, are really actually crucial for, the, uh, for kids' development. Well, and we find this in so much of popular um, American culture, Western culture. But, I mean, these movies are translating into China fairly well. A lot of these uh, movies do well over there in their box office. So it is a... It, the archetype is always fascinating me that beyond cultures, beyond a certain time and place, you get the, the window dressing unique to the culture, but the same themes are there. And it does speak to something. My friend Troy and I were talking last night, and Troy loved this, and he picked up because we went and saw Justice League on Sunday on the uh, collective unconscious and how certain things, well, essentially speak to you without having to be too on the nose, that it's something almost everybody understands and can latch onto even when you're five years old. Yeah, that, that term collective unconscious, it, it comes from a psychologist named Carl Jung. And Joseph Campbell basically was applying Carl Jung's um, uh, theory about myths to uh, just basically elaborating on them and, and um, giving examples, just kind of giving the reader uh, an around-the-world tour of all the, the myths of, of the world and throughout history. And um, and the idea of Jung is that this collective unconscious that it he calls it collective because it everyone has it, um, and and the reason why everyone has it is because it's actually inherited. So it's it's not part of the mind that um, develops through experience. It's it's um, it's part of the mind that uh, is filled with certain kinds of fundamental concepts that were so uh, made such a huge impression on our distant, distant ancestors that it actually became part of, of our minds, like a, a part, part of our DNA, really. And, um, and so it's these very fundamental, basic concepts that, of course, we can't put it into words right away as soon as we're born, but, um, but when, when we grow up, that these myths... Um, resonate with um, with our collective unconscious and uh, and especially these these fundamental ideas that Jung called archetypes um, and and that's what makes these myths so powerful have you found and I mentioned this to you all fair uh, that in again some of the examples of like archetypal events are birth death separation from parents initiation marriage the union of opposites you get figures like the great mother the father child devil god a wise old man wise old woman the trickster which is one of my favorites uh, and of course the hero and then you get these motifs that are the apocalypse the deluge the creation and in most cultures have a flood story have a creation story have a eschatology how things uh, will end, but I was uh, bringing it up last night because, my, again, my friend and I, Troy, were discussing the bomb, uh, starting with the atomic bomb into thermonuclear weapons, and as you've been doing your deep dive into Campbell, and I know you're very well versed in some of the Greek and Roman uh, stories, 
have you found that sometimes it's this mythological language or these stories that tap into archetypes help you see, say, modern uh, advancements or calamities, whatever it is, whatever the motif is, it helps you understand them without being caught in the historical moment? Definitely, because there are certain um, patterns and stages in life that, that we all go through, no, no matter what phase of history and what level of technology we're, we're living through. And, um, you know, the, the, the idea of a man-made apocalypse, um, I mean, with Oppenheimer, I mean, that was, you know, he was part of, you know, bringing that into uh, into reality. And I'm sure that must have been <laughs> quite a thing to, to kind of uh, integrate into your, into your mind. And, um, and what, what Jung said is that these, you know, these cosmological stories like creation and flood and, and apocalypse that that really they, they weren't about the actual creation of the, the world or the actual you know inundation and um, and then renewal of the world and final destruction that that really that it's it's about the journey of the soul the and the journey mm-hmm. of the individual and and um, and even even the uh, like cosmological hero that that hero was representing the individual listening to the story and and um and so i, I think that um what happened with the development of nuclear weapons is that like okay wow we're not just talking about the death of an individual we're, we're talking about you know the, the possible an a- possible actual apocalypse where you know I mean, it's kind of scary that you know we're just just today that we're hearing about uh, some kind of an exchange between North Korea and and, and South Korea, and you know that that could you know easily um, with with retaliations and with China and the U.S. involved that you know that that could really easily you know get out of hand, and I just really hope that uh, cooler heads prevail uh, as they did with the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Thankfully, yes. uh, or else we wouldn't we wouldn't be here. But um, I, I think it 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 does help us because you know we all we all confront the the reality of of death and um, uh, and I think myths can help us process uh, death uh, on, both on on an individual scale and um, and you know realizing how precious life is and how important it is that cooler heads prevail in crises like this. Well, and I've been saying now for a few years, people have asked me, what is your faith, Joe, if you have any at all? And I would say in a phrase that the narratives we tell ourselves are the most important things in our lives and that the most important truths in our lives, maybe things we can't even prove but are just sort of given, are first found in the fabric of our fictions. Uh, I mean, I wrote that a while ago, started thinking about that a while ago. That came more through the Oscar Wilde tradition, the art for art's sake movement. Um, And interesting enough to this point, and because the Greeks loom so large in especially Western mythology, uh, the conscious mythology, I think most folks know, the Greeks used to say, as Wilde pointed out, put 
uh, uh, statues of Apollo in the birthing chamber in somebody's bedroom. So when somebody wakes up and the first thing they see is this this figure that reminds them of the story, um, it, it reminds me of, you know, why do you put out Christmas decorations? It's to remind you that this is the season. It isn't, uh, it isn't the same day over and over again. There is something to this idea of ritual. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is it Campbell or Young or maybe yourself said maybe the decline of religion, organized, so to speak, organized religion, has sort of led to this desire to find, whether it's superhero movies or rehashing out the old myths, is it because this sort of decline in the old-time religion that people you think are grasping for ways to make sense of these journeys they're going through? Well, Campbell really thought that um, that the decline of these uh, rituals and religions that are that are rich with um, archetypal symbols that can touch the soul um, that that is leading to the rise of neuroticism of of people who are not able to make the passages uh, of adulthood and. Um, and um, so, so today, you know, that's with people who uh, can't adult, like, you know, they use the word adult as a verb, um, especially millennials. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about um, even taking adulting classes right. and, uh, and, and the phenomenon of failure to launch where, you know, uh, people still living in their parents' basements, like well, well in, into their 20s. Um, and... And yeah, Campbell really believes that um, that part of the reason why we have that kind of thing happening is that we we don't have um, sort of the um, the the spiritual the soul food that helps people to transition from one stage of life to the next. It's it's really like a like a rite of passage. Hmm. Um, so he he notes that that the hero's journey has the same formula as rites of passage uh, throughout in, in all cultures, like even primitive cultures that, that they would have, that there's, there's always some kind of a, uh, of a separation. So where you, you leave your community and you leave your, if you're a child, you leave your parents. Um, there, there's a, uh, an in, initiation where you go into a, like a dark realm where it's really scary and really challenging and and you and it's so severe it's so um terrifying that it's sort of like a uh, a symbolic death but then followed by a rebirth because then uh what what it's meant to do is um trigger these kind of uh draw draw these inner powers that have been developing in the, in the unconscious. So this inner maturity, like reserves of re- reservoirs of strength and, and bravery that you didn't realize you, you have, but when, when you're faced with a challenge that, that it comes to the surface and then, um, and then you actually get through the ordeal and come out the other end of it stronger than you were at the beginning. Um, and so, so that, that's the rite of passage where where you're becoming more uh, more mature, and and then the third stage is the return where you you have your 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 newfound powers and you you reintegrate into the community at a higher level. 
because you you've reached a new station in life. Uh, you, you're you're not you're not a baby anymore. You're a boy, or you're not a boy anymore. You're a man. Um, and and myths have that same formula because the um, the hero ha- here's a call to adventure, like Gandalf would would call uh, Frodo or or Bilbo. And um, and then if if he if he answers the call, then then he is it's, it's generally a leaving home, like leaving the the routine and uh, and uh, the community, and then going off into a strange area of uh, a strange realm of chaos. So so before your life was just of order, but maybe it was too much order because things were were stale and and not, and too routine, and you weren't growing at all so so you go into a realm of chaos where there's challenge and you have to try to carve new order out of the chaos but in order to do that you need um you need new powers so so in myth it's um, like a magic sword or a magic ring or some kind of um charm uh or weapon and um and then you use that new so that that represents the, in the rites of passage that represents like the new uh, maturity and the new uh, skill level and competence that that the individual uh, attains and then with armed with 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 that then you're able to slay the dragon or or de- defeat the dark lord and then um, and then you then you return then you return to um, the Shire and reintegrate into your community at, at, at a higher level. Well, and I was about to bring up Lord of the Rings. My brother and I did a whole Friday show on Lord of the Rings, um, and it was amazing how much Tolkien, I think, in the trenches of World War One, is using myth-making, or what he would call it is recording myth. Like he said, you have to believe in these things as though they are true. It's uh, what Dan Carlin talks about on his podcast, Hardcore History, with uh, especially ancient history. You have to believe in history um, to learn the lessons of it and to learn the narrative. But Tolkien, to me, is fascinating because he used myth-making to create this whole world as almost a way to deal with his own trauma and PTSD. That's uh, a little bit away from the where we're going with your essay here, but... It's he was at this stage in life dealing with literally hell on earth, his friends dying in front of him, and to process that, he created a whole other world, and it really is the hero's journey. They leave the Shire, this idyllic land where people are very skeptical about anybody doing anything out of the ordinary, until they they brave all the different things and literally go into a dark mountain and come out, and they've not only saved the world but they have been changed. But this change can sometimes be tragic. I mean, Prometheus didn't end up in a wonderful end. He was punished in a terrible way. Uh, Frodo, in a way, is can't. He's not the same. Life will never be the same for him. Uh, and it reminds me of again Carl Jung. Uh, he very much influenced Viktor Frankl in the book *Man's Search for Meaning*, where Frankl talks about the. Uh, people who survive concentration camps, there would be folks who survived the concentration camps who didn't feel like life was had the had the had the challenge anymore, and that people, even when they listened to them, didn't understand what they had gone through, and it's almost like they needed another 
a myth or something to help them process and tell that story because the, the truth of the matter was so difficult to explain. And again, Tolkien is the example. I, I find it amazing that there's an exact instance of somebody using myth out of his own mind to cope with the trials of his real life. Yeah, I, there really are different types of ordeals. Um, and I think that the way that you face the ordeal or the way that the ordeal comes to face you um, really um, is what determines whether it leads to growth or whether it leads to weakness. So, um, and, and a big part of that is whether it's voluntary or not. Mm-hmm. So um, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who's a clinical psychologist, uh, talks about um, the, the um, different, when it's voluntary, then it engages a different part of the brain. Uh, it, it engages what he call, call, what's called the, um, the approach circuit. Um, and those kinds of, when, when you voluntarily enter an ordeal and, and get through it, then um, it's actually empowering and, and strengthening once, once you come out the other end. But if it's involuntary, then instead it engages the, the fight-or-flight part mm. of your brain. And, and instead, that, um, it, it's traumatic. It, it becomes a, a trauma, and it actually weakens you. And, and um, you, you feel actually less powerful and less secure. And, um, and so when PTSD sufferers are, um, are experiencing flashbacks, um, they're, 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 trying to, they're, they're relieving the experience because part of them thinks that they're still in danger. Like, like they uh, were exposed to something that, was, that, that seemed like such a threat to their survival that, um, that the brain is trying to figure out how to cope with that threat because the, you know, the, the, the part of the, um, you know, in terms of evolutionary speaking, um, you know, you don't really know if the threat has actually resolved. Like, like, you know, consciously you know that you're not at war anymore, but there's a part of your brain that, that doesn't really realize that it, it doesn't, it hasn't accepted that, that it's safe. And so it, it's trying to process things so that it can um, figure out how to deal with this, this threat. And, um, and so the, with the um, exposure therapy, um, they really harness this approach circuit where they, um, the PTSD sufferer faces their fears. Like, like it's, it's not, it does no good to avoid the fears or try to forget the fears that, that you actually have to, uh, to face them um, in order to, to conquer them. Um, and, um, but that has to be voluntary. Uh, the a PTSD sufferer can't be forced, uh, have exposure therapy forced upon him, uh, to, forced to relive the experience, because th- then that'll just make it worse. It's only when he confronts it voluntarily that the approach circuit I- is engaged, and, and, then, um, um, and then he feels um, like he's slain the dragon. Okay, and it's... Um... It's amazing the different ways people are, are processing this and 
we're of course learning things in psychology since young but i i just keep seeing how much he had an influence on people now we hit a, need to hit a quick break here dan and again folks my guest is dan sanchez from the foundation for economic education uh check out his piece that uh, spurred this conversation tonight why kids need heroic adventures you can find it on fee.org f-e-e dot uh, org and I want to go back uh, to an album of the day today. Well, it's the album that I kicked off the show, the Joey Clark Radio Hour, with. It's uh, the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. But in a in a way, uh, you know, superhero movies I think are some of the tops myths being made in our midst these days. But rock and roll had such a way of, of creating a myth, and especially a. a concept album like Ziggy Stardust and Bowie told William S. Burroughs uh, I think uh, several years ago obviously before Bowie passed it would be interesting if he said it like after he passed uh, quote Ziggy is advised in a dream by the infinites to write the coming of a star man this amazing spaceman who will be coming down to save the earth Ziggy starts to believe in all this himself and thinks himself a prophet of the future, Starman. He takes himself up to the incredible spiritual heights and is kept alive by his disciples. But when the infinites arrive, the Starmen arrive, they take bits of Ziggy to make themselves real. Because in their original state, they are antimatter and cannot exist in our world. And they tear him to pieces on stage during the song Rock and Roll Suicide. But the album begins with this song called Five Years. Essentially, the world will end in five years. It's an interesting take on what would you do if you had that information and you knew it. Um, would you reach the same tragic end as Ziggy, or would you deal with it differently? Um, coming back, we're going to touch on the hero's journey as a rite of passage, especially as it applies to kids. The main thrust of Dan Sanchez's essay here. We'll be right back after this, folks. Warehouse, it had no room to spare. Joey Clark. And all the tall, short people. And all the nobody people. And all the somebody people. I never thought I'd need so many people. Girl, my age went off ahead. Joey Clark. Well, welcome back to the program. Listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Yes, this is not the Hoople, not David Bowie, but Bowie penned this song. It goes along with the Ziggy Stardust saga. There's no more electricity, so carry the word by simply word of mouth. It almost harkens back, uh, I don't know if Bowie had in mind, to the, the Blitz. Everybody's having to look out for one another um, in this sort of apocalyptic world. But anyway, we're talking about myths being made in our midst and how myths uh, really speak to us on a deep level. And in particular... My guest is Dan Sanchez. Uh, in particular, Dan, it's this idea of initiation. This is especially important for young people. Yes, um, and the myth can prov- 
implied sort of a initiation in the universe of the imagination. So whereas the rite of passage, you know, it's they actually are are going through a dark forest or or something. Uh, in in the myth, they sort of vicariously partake in the hero's journey and and in the hero's uh, empowerment and, and transformation and um, and it can inspire them the the listener to um, undertake their own hero's journey and it can inspire them to want to also um, pursue um, self empowerment and. And like so, I I think that's why, for example, I I was so galvanized by by uh, watching He-Man when I was a kid because here was this uh, weakling, Prince Adam, who I kind of identified with him because because I was five year old at the time, so I was very weak too, and nobody took me seriously. But then he transforms into uh, into He-Man, and he becomes responsible, and he becomes capable and competent and uh, he, he becomes uh, uh, an adult and um, and all kids uh, long for um, they, they don't have they, they don't have these Peter Pan complexes that that uh, adults often assume that they have they they want to be more mature they want to have more capability they want to have more skill they, they want to be taken seriously um, and and that's that's what these myths um, speak to uh, in the soul of, of the child, um, and so it goes all the way back to um, to King Arthur. Uh, you know, he also lifted a sword just like Prince Adam does when he when he says, "By the power of Grayskull," and he becomes He Man. You know, King Arthur lifted the sword in the stone, and that's how he he became a man. Uh, that's how he came. Uh, he proved. That he was the heir to the throne. Uh, that's how he came into his own, and that, that's a theme that you see over and over again throughout these stories. Um, generally, it's it's the, the hero has been um, be, usually because of a, a paranoid tyrant who uh, hears a prophecy about being killed by the hero later that. That the tyrant drives the hero in to be uh, into obscurity, into the hinterlands, and so as a baby, the hero uh, grows up in obscurity. Um, but but then inevitably, the hero grows up and then returns and returns to claim uh, his birthright to um, uh, of uh, of manhood and of royalty to and to show that his his semi divinity because a lot of these heroes were 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 semi divine. Um, and so this was the story of, of Theseus, who, uh, who also had to, to take so a sword from a rock, but in his case, he had to, to lift this huge boulder off of his father's sword. Hmm. Um, so it was kind of like the opposite of the Arthur myth, to, to show that he was, his, uh, uh, was owed his birthright. Um, and then we have Luke Skywalker, who also lifts the lightsaber, the sword of, of his father, Darth Vader, and um, and and then proves uh, himself capable of becoming the, the the greatest Jedi. And so, over and over again, we we see the the, the stories of youth coming into its own, of of youth showing uh, 
developing its power and and through labor through it's it's not just lifting a sword that they have to do great feats uh great conquest they have to to um clear the land of of monsters um they have to do uh, amazing feats and that that shows that they have have come into their own and with with modern stories it 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 becomes a secret identity uh type uh thing where the the secret identity of a superhero mm. is usually weak uh and childlike like uh like Peter Parker he's this bumbling high school student who has trouble talking to girls and in the same way that Clark Kent is is a bumbling weakling who uh is scorned by Lois Lane but every time they change into their superhero persona they're they're coming uh of age like in in every issue or in or in every episode and it's, so it's like a little mini hero's journey well and even say with like superman or like for instance justice league i'm watching this and you think these heroes have dealt with bad guys before they've dealt with bad guys before and they they achieve some uh standing that they're the protector of a given city or whatnot and then something completely new and unexpected something they don't think they can destroy and beat uh test them again and it's this ongoing drive uh superman's a fascinating example and i mean the idea that you have a king trying to kill all the children this is the story of jesus uh i mean having driving him out he lives in obscurity you know he comes back as a different king but it, it is remarkable when you step back and you realize that th this is uh, this is fairly true and we shouldn't treat myth and that word myth as a put down as a pejorative uh, i i can't stand that you get all these clickbait articles that the this or that myth it's a misuse of the word in my mind a myth is supposed to inspire it's supposed to help you through uh, these difficult times or through these climbing the the higher rung on the ladder and i think we've abused the word and sometimes but it is coming back but usually when there's a hero there's a villain and where do you you address this in the essay where does the villain come from at times well i think that this is where the myth uh is importantly true uh to uh, to adults especially uh it, it it's not a matter of whether it was historically true. It's uh, it's it's true in in a deeper sense, in in a in a lesson sense that that a lot of um, people can can learn from. And the villain is often a, a parent type figure. So we've already talked about the um, the paranoid uh, tyrant, who's, who's generally an older tyrant, and he's generally a, like a father figure um sometimes he's literally a father like in in the case of um oedipus's father laius mm. uh king laius um and then with the um with the the female villains that they're also often a, a mother figure so in the original Gr um, grimm's fairy tale version of snow white um the evil queen actually wasn't the stepmother, the evil queen, was actually Snow White's birth mother. Mm. And again, it was a case of paranoia about being replaced by the younger generation. 
Um, and so in the Queen's case, it was the mirror, mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all. And she realizes that her own beauty is fading and that Snow White is, is coming of age. And she, she doesn't want change, um, just, just like the evil king didn't want change. And so Joseph Campbell calls the villain archetype, he calls, him, calls it hold fast, hmm. um, because, because it's clinging to the past. It's, it's refusing to, to, to yield the stage to the next generation. Um, and, um, and so you see this story over and over again with, um, so the, 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 evil, the, the evil queen um, puts Snow White into a, uh, a deep sleep, a, a timeless sleep. And, um, and Joseph Campbell says that that's, that's uh, an image of, of a fixating parent, uh, a parent who... who won't let change happen, who won't let youth develop and renew the world. And so, so Snow White and uh, Sleeping Beauty and Rapunzel, um, they're all they're, they're frozen in timelessness, in this timeless daughter state, that, they, that they're not allowed to, to come into their own in the same way that, that the young hero, a prince, is not allowed to come into, into his own. And so, so Really, the, I think the lesson is very uh, relevant, especially the, these days, because a lot of parents are being like that with their kids. They're being holdfast. Uh, they're they're um, freezing their kids in timelessness by being overprotective, um, and and so the, you know everything uh, has to be. Um, intervened again every, every kind of risk factor um and every germ every jerk on the playground every unkind word every even every disappointment on the sports field that the the parent feels like they need to protect their child from from every kind of a bad thing that could happen especially that they need to protect the child from their own bad choices so so Kids aren't allowed to make choices. So we, the kids these days are perhaps the, uh, have the, the least unsupervised time uh, in, in all of, of any generation in, in all of history. And that's the reason why they are frozen in timelessness, just like Sleeping Beauty, that they are not able to develop. Uh, they're, they're not able to um, to go to the next stage. They, they aren't having heroic adventures. They aren't having rites of passage because, um, because they're always being supervised and everything's being done for them and, and, and everything they do isn't independent. There's no separation that, that everything is being determined for them. So, so of course they're not, they're not learning how to be independent or, or self-reliant or resilient that, uh, that they're, they're trapped in uh, perpetual childishness, and that's why we have so much trouble with, with young adults uh, these days not being able to uh, graduate into adulthood. Well, and it, it reminds me of uh, Nietzsche talking about the last men, that all they want for is comfort and security. And uh, sometimes I see it's not an age thing. It is just some people never grow up, and they don't ever want to get out and and challenge themselves. And I think when you leave people forever young, like in the case of Dorian Gray, or you leave people without a sense of, of belonging to something that challenges them, whether 
alone or as a group you're taking on a challenge, people will seek out some challenge, some initiation to be a part of, and they might choose one that isn't, uh, let's say, virtuous and might be violent and destructive. And you offer, uh, through Campbell, there are three ways a parent can be a heroic parent, though. Yes, yes. So um, Campbell talks about uh, the call to adventure, and that is often delivered by a figure called the Herald. And so parents can can call their children to adventure by introducing them to things that that might interest them. So uh, not directing them. So, you know, Gandalf, Gandalf was the herald for Frodo, but he didn't kidnap Frodo. Right. You know, Frodo had to answer for, for him to really get the value out of the ordeal and out of the challenge and out of the experience. He had to undertake it voluntarily. So, so in the same way, um, you know, children need to undertake adventures voluntarily. It's not an adventure if, if, it, if, they're, if, it, if they're forced into it. Then it's, then it's a trauma. You know, then it's something that they, they'll have to get over later, and that, that, that actually makes them weaker, not stronger. Um, so, um, but, um, uh, and then there, there's also the role of, Campbell calls it the mystagogue. Mm. So the mystagogue is the figure like, like the fairy godmother or like Merlin, who, who, who gives the enchanted weapons or charms to the, to the hero and, and shows them the way to, uh, to, the, to the treasure and um, and parents can do that too because uh, obviously parents need to uh, to supply um, kids with with resources, uh, with uh, learning materials, with um, uh, tools and uh, kits, and you know a, a, a house rich w- uh, with a treasure of, of, of resources to, to the best that, that the parent can afford, um, and. Um, but then, of course, to give the child the freedom to, to choose what they find fascinating and what they find uh, to interest, that they're interested in uh, embarking on adventures with these materials. Um, so so that, that can be a role. Um, and, and, uh, and most importantly, the parent needs to be the hero of their own story and be a model mm. to to the child. So, um, you know, integrating your child in into your life as much as possible. Show them like the kind of work that you do, and um, and the kind um, you know, share with them some of your your struggles and triumphs, and and let them see you do great deeds in your own career and with your own hobbies, and um, and that can really inspire kids because a lot of times kids end up wanting to do what their parents uh, um, do or, or maybe a hobby that their parents have um, because they are inspired in the same way that we're inspired when we hear or watch a myth or a superhero movie uh, of, of someone doing a great feat. Yeah, and it, it is... Um amazing to me that we seem to be wanting not just for kids these days i think there are plenty of stories for them uh to grasp on to but uh it, it it troubles me that it's almost like the heroic in society is looked down upon or it's it's ready-made and i'm trying to say this as uh, as delicately as i can 
but it, it it's like okay, you have the usual heroes that you know served in the military, and I think there are some heroic qualities to people who serve. Uh, you know, you have of course the the political heroes, and you know lionize these presidents and things like that. But I I worry that we're not living it out in our own lives enough that that sort of heroic impulse to go out and be the own hero of your own story and own journey is uh, looked down upon it, it's sort of you don't take the pride in earned accomplishments that it's at least frowned upon to boast about things you have earned uh to be uh, intrepid to take a risk to find a struggle to say maybe this could have a tragic end but whether it ends in tragedy or it ends in some incredible achievement and everybody's laughing in comedy uh that it's worth the risk again it's a line uh, from nietzsche where he talked about uh, the trapeze the tightrope walker who falls and he falls to his death and the prophet zarathustra walks up to him and says You've made danger your vocation. There is no shame in that. Um, I, sometimes I just feel like that sort of life, that sort of mentality and virtue is, is frowned upon in our society. That's more like stay conformed. Let's build the Tower of Babel together. We'll all make men the same. We're all going to make men bricks. And it's going to be the same plan for everybody. And um, I'm worried that we're either going to decline into something or there's going to be some nasty backlash. Uh, that when you try to suppress these urges, people again will latch on to something uh, that maybe gives them the hero's journey, but doesn't give them a, a wonderful end, gives them a tragic end. Yeah, I, I think that um, it all stems from childhood, that uh, because as kids we are alternately dominated or overprotected, then we learn to see ourselves as victims. Mm -hmm. To either be afflicted by others or or to be saved by others all the time, and um, and so then that translates as, as we're adults in in a lack of entrepreneurship, in a lack of self reliance, and in a uh, easy um, view of uh, easy w way of demonizing people and, and seeing them as as villains. And then glorifying, especially politicians, as as our saviors and and as the people who need to to rescue us um, because we can't save ourselves. Um, and and so I I think it really all goes back to childhood. I I agree. And well, Dan, I, I really appreciate you being here tonight. Uh, again, folks, the essay we it's it's a long essay, but a very worthwhile and a, a swift read. It, it's great to get into this essay. It's called Why Kids Need Heroic Adventures. It is now at fee.org, F-E-E.org. And uh, Dan, thank you for hopping on the show tonight on such short notice. But this is where I'm going. And so when I saw that you had written this long-form piece on this very topic I've been pondering and maybe not doing the work you've done, uh, I, it just I was overjoyed. So thank you on such short notice for being here tonight. Oh, I had a great time talking to you. Uh, it was great, Dan. And... Uh, have a good rest of the evening and enjoy the Christmas, the holiday season. It, it should be fun. Folks, go, go do some sort of decoration to remind you that it isn't just the same old day. Uh, have a good night, Dan. Thank you. You right. too. You good too. Night. All, right. All right. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Tonight, my guest was Dan Sanchez, but tomorrow night, 
My guest will be Kevin Murphy. Yes, that Kevin Murphy, the former chief of police here in Montgomery. He's now the chief deputy sheriff here in Montgomery County. We're going to be talking about what it's like to be a law enforcement officer, but also where they might need to improve, and just generally about life, a free-flowing discussion. For now, I leave you the words of David Bowie and the musings of Mott the Hoople.